Welcome to the Biohackers podcast. My name is Teemu Arina. I'm privileged today to interview Tina Hoffman, who is an exercise physiologist at First Beat. First Beat is one of the pioneers in measuring stress and activity and uh, what we can learn from the heart. She's also a master of science, has studied at the University of Uvascula, the Department of Biology and Physical Activity, and has a bachelor degree from the University of Alaska. Welcome, Tina. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So I've been going through some measurements with uh, this device uh, from First Beat. And First Beat is one of the pioneers of, of this. So what's the history? Yeah, so we, we have been working now about 15 years. We are based in Uvascula and we originated from studies conducted at the University of Uvascula and the Research Institute for Olympic Sports, KIHU. They were doing studies on athlete overtraining, trying to find a non-invasive method to, to determine overtraining before it's too late, before the athlete is so burned out or so overtrained that it's too late and the season is over. And in this process, the research group uh, sort of realized and, and understood that a regular person who, who does too much, works too hard, has too much load on their overall life, even if they necessarily don't do any training, they can get overtrained physiologically in the same way as, as an athlete does. And that sort of led to the leap from the athlete world to the regular people. So do you mean that people who do regular desk jobs can have overtraining symptoms from the work that they do? Yes, yes, for sure. Because it's so easy now to, for the work to be very all-consuming and, and it easily carries into your leisure time and There is a lot of pressure and the 24-7 type mentality easily doesn't allow the body to rest. And yeah, the mm. physiological symptoms can be very much the same. We did some measurement on my case for uh, three days now straight and also one day earlier as a control in a way to mm -hmm. see how a typical day is. And we had a very, very much like uh, overtraining mode going on in terms of... Uh, doing the knowledge work that I do and speaking, running from one conference to another. We're going to come back to my data, so stay online or listening in your car or wherever you are to dive deep into what you can learn from my case. But before we go there, I, I was just a few days ago looking at the stats from Finnish government, uh, THL, on why people are on a sick leave. Mm. And one, uh, three things come out of there. One of them is sort of feeling fatigue, mm. chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, lack of energy, um, depression, these kind of things pop out. Then there's, of course, flu symptoms. Mm. And uh, the third one was back pain problems. The more I talk with experts on this, it seems that all of these things can be interrelated. So if you live a very stressful life, even if you have very good ergonomics, you can get all kinds of pains in your body, obviously. And, and, and all of these things sort of link together, chronic pain, chronic fatigue, uh, just lack of energy and uh, uh, lack of drive, really. How important do you think it is today to become aware of this information mm -hmm. and... Uh, also in a way to learn to manage that. Yeah, I think very important because obviously we are one package and if one segment starts to give out, whether it's the body or, or the mind or too much pressure, then it easily carries into the other areas. So if, if we do too much and have too much overload in our lives, obviously physical symptoms can follow from that. Stress is okay, but if the stress is chronic and continuous, then Usually at the end of the line, there will be some kind of actual physical symptoms. It can be heart diseases or diabetes too, or different kind of lifestyle related diseases. So yeah, of course, yeah. All, all factors should be considered. We did this upgraded workplace project and you were also part of that. We had 15, 16 partners and we basically had a downgraded work week where we had pretty typical like working environment, bad ergonomics, The lights were not optimal. Mm. The, air, uh, the indoor air wasn't good. Uh, the breaks, uh, the lunch, all of those were like what typical office workers do today. Then we had an intervention week where we 
basically upgraded the different parts with the help of a medical doc- doctor and a nutrition specialist and a personal trainer. So we were looking into breaks, into exercise, into recovery, uh, which seems like, I mean, we tend to schedule exercise, for example, in our schedule. We don't necessarily mm-hmm. schedule recovery. Mm-hmm. Which exactly. Is, which is yeah. like, you can vigorously rest also if you know how, you, how to do it properly. And it seems also when I talk to athletes uh, who are like on top of their game, it's not only about exercising more, but it's also about how you rest. How you, that's how you, if you want to build muscle or you want to just like um, build strength or anything. I mean, if you, want, if you want to grow and become better. Also, in knowledge work, if you want your brain to work in an optimal way for that work, you should take care of yourself in terms of recovery, not just how you work and how much you work, but also how you recover from the work. Yeah, absolutely. And I also, I come from the world of sports. When I was younger, I was a sports coach. And I think the parallels between the sports world and the world of normal people, it, it, they are very similar. And it, it is exactly like how you said that, that uh, if, if we just focus on the physical aspects, but don't take care of the recovery, the exercise is not going to benefit us really at all. So you, you do have to pay attention to so this seems to be a very interesting technology and useful technology for that purpose to gain better understanding and also better self-understanding of how the patterns in your life influence uh, recovery and also your performance. Uh, you have a lot of data. So how much do you have data of people at this point and do you do any like um, Yeah, we do. We Over the 15 years we have gathered, um, I think the current data is somewhere between close to 150,000 measurement days, meaning a 24-hour segment of data. Typically, when people do the measurement, they, they, they do it at least three days at a time. So uh, this is not number of people, but number of measurement days. And we do, uh, we do have a very interesting database, and we periodically pull out interesting, interesting trends from there. We have, for example, discovered that Saturdays are the most stressful days for Finnish people, or or that people tend to be most stressed right, right before Christmas and then most charged up in August after the summer holidays. So uh, the database actually offers quite a bit of backing and, uh, and some interesting population trends. Let's dive into stress a little bit. So to me, stress is, uh, is a word that is both positive and negative. I mean, people talk about stress often as negative thing, but there is positive stress also. If you want to perform well going on stage to speak or you have a race coming up uh, or you want to wake up in the morning, just the elevated cortisol in some cases mm-hmm. is, is a performance enhancing tool. Now, when that becomes chronic, when it becomes a negative stress, that's obviously when there is a risk for overtraining or chronic fatigue and so on. So what can you tell us uh, uh, as an exercise physiologist, about what's happening in our bodies when we get stressed and uh, um, how that relates to performance and uh, recovery. We, we very much look at stress as a normal part of life, like, like you said. It helps us get through the demands of the day and, and perform when, when it's time to perform. It's the classic fight-or-flight response that the body has. So if in the past, if you had to defend your life against a charging animal or an enemy, the same thing still happens in the daily life when you have to meet the demands. And what happens in the body when you get stressed? Yeah, so the sympathetic part of the autonomic nervous system kicks in and it, it activates the body, elevates the heart rate, it reduces heart rate variability, it, it elevates your respiration rate. So in, in a way, it prepares, it, it moves the blood and the, um, the concentration into your muscles and into the part of right. your body that needs so to that function at that. Yeah, exactly. And it's, so it's, that's the old, that's where it stems from, but it really, it, that's exactly how it happens. And then on the other hand, when the stress is over, if the system is in some kind of balance, then you should be able to turn off that response when you go to sleep or when you do your rest and relaxation moments. And is there a case where that would sustain? I mean, the people, I mean, they are so stressed that they can't even shut down that signal. Yeah, it's surprisingly common among the measurements that we do. We measure normal, busy people, oftentimes management level, people in demanding jobs. And if the stress has been going on too long without sufficient focus on 
on getting enough sleep and getting recovery. It's it's very possible that you, you go to bed, you lay down, but in a way your body keeps keeps going just like it was daytime. Your heart rate doesn't drop at all, and and uh, the the functions don't slow down. And obviously that's not not a good thing if it happens day after day. It's like when we look at your result, it's temporarily that happens for most people. Sometimes life is just busy or we have to travel across the world and, and, and deal with jet lag and things like that. So it's not bad in itself if it's something acute, but if it goes on, then, then well, clearly a problem. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you mentioned that blood flows into your muscles. You're ready to move. Is, is, is the blood moving out from your brain? So what's the cognitive kind of impact? Of this? Uh, basically it does, yeah. I mean, a, a good example of that would be um, we have with our work group, we have been doing orienteering for Yukolan Vieste, this large orienteering relay. And and anybody knows when you you know basically how to read a map and read a compass, if you just go walking around the course, you can probably find everything. But then when you start running hard and, and you're going to be close to your maximum effort and you're building lactic acid and the, the blood is all in your muscles, suddenly your ability to read the map becomes a lot worse. And that's why even elite orienteers can sometimes get dramatically lost. And certainly as normal normal people, you can make some... Clearly, your, your cognitive functions aren't at the top of the game in, in, an, in an extreme situation like that. When we look at people who work in the military, for example, and, and train, they train for kind of this automatic... Um, default activity that they would rely on in stressful situations. So mm-hmm. it seems that your ability to do complex information processing shuts down. You, you lack the ability to be creative in a stressful moment. So you just uh, re- uh, rely on your instincts at that point. Yeah, I think instincts and training, like what, if, if it's specific things you have to be able to do, you can manage that, but then, like you mentioned, creativity is surely one thing that is probably not, you know, it's compromised at least. And of course, different people have different abilities. And I think those kind of extreme examples, like military in challenging situations, surely they are already specific individuals who, who can do those kind of tasks under extreme pressure. I remember reading also about these kind of people when they are in conflict zones where there is constant risk for life, sort of constant elevated stress uh, when they come back to like normal life and move, move back to their home country what they be, sometimes witness is this kind of like chronic uh, stress where they are constantly sort of the sympathetic nervous system is is highly active even if, if it's just calm around them so they might have some i mean an anger management problems mm. because of that yeah, I'm not. I'm not an expert in that area, but post-traumatic stress disorder is a very real and very big problem. In just just deals with that when when some right. kind of a very stressful situation is over, then it it's over, but it's not really over. Sort of like the, the body body is expecting, it's, it's adapting to the environment, which is stressful by keeping keeping all the hormones and everything elevated, mm. cortisol and so on. It keeps yeah. you keeps you in. In, a, in, a, in that kind of uh, zone, I think that's not very useful if you want to do knowledge work to shut down your creativity and uh, <laughs> um, be ready to fight for your life. Now, you do this measurement with this device. Um, there is a lot of different applications and devices that you can use to measure stress. And you mentioned earlier heart, heart rate variability. Uh, let's dive into that term. So what does heart rate variability mean? And what do we measure when we measure stress? Yeah, so the the device that you were showing, the bodyguard device, it measures every beat of your heart. It recognizes the R wave from the heart's electrical graph. And then it measures the time between beats in milliseconds. And heart rate variability means how much that time varies from one beat to the next at millisecond level. So it's not a it's not something that people usually are aware of. If, if you feel your heart rate like this, it's the beats per minute value. It, it seems pretty even. But then when you start looking at it at the millisecond level, there is actual variation from one beat to the next. It's, it's normal and it's healthy and there should be variability in that time. Right. And that is what we, our analysis is based on, all the information we can gather from that. So what's the difference in heart rate variability in terms of that distance between heartbeats 
in a person who is relaxed and in a person who is highly stressed. Right. So in a person who is relaxed, there is large vary. If you're looking at the standard deviation of the millisecond values between beats, so the, that could be something like 50 milliseconds or 80 milliseconds or 100 milliseconds, meaning that there is a lot of variation. The, the hard the, from beat to beat, there is big differences in the time. Whereas the stressed person, the variation disappears. When the sympathetic nervous system is the one that's dominating, then your heart ticks like a metronome very evenly, which is oftentimes what, what you think that that's what the heart should do. But in, in reality, that's not the case. So in their case, the, the variation could be 5 milliseconds or 10 milliseconds or 15 milliseconds. So it looks kind of like a straight line instead of this line that goes up and down. Right, when there, you're Chinese proverb that if man's heart beats like a water droplet dripping in a, in a pool of water, the death is near. So, um, yeah. what in this, what in your nervous system is controlling, taking control, and, and making the heart, uh, the beats, the, the distance between heartbeats to to be as if you have a water rippling into a pool or a metronome going on. So the the balance between the sympathetic and parasympathetic part of the autonomic nervous system, they they both are needed and should operate. But if the heart beats like a metronome, then it means that the sympathetic or the stress system is controlling everything. And then then the parasympathetic or the vagal the vagus nerve or the vagal part of the nervous system, it it doesn't get to kick in really. And whereas when there is normal variation, then when, when we have a chance to slow down and rest or sleep or take any kind of a break from the busyness, then, then the parasympathetic system should be activated um, quickly. And then that means that uh, it, it show, you can measure it via heart rate variability, but, but then uh, on a sort of practical level, it means that your body is slowing down and you are able to, so, to so the sympathetic nervous system is sort of like the fight or flight, and the parasympathetic yeah. nervous system is the rest and digest. Exactly, yeah. We, sometimes we call sympathetic the gas and parasympathetic is the break of the body. So right. they both have a very useful purpose, but, uh, but neither should operate all of the time. And needs to be in balance. Yeah. So you mentioned the vagal or vagus nerve. Um, what is that? Um, that's the nerve, and this gets into very deep physiology, and I don't have my physiology books in front of me, but uh, the vagus nerve is what controls how the how, how the heart functions basically and and then if that 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 is blocked the its ability to work is blocked because of some kind of stress that's going on then it doesn't get to to affect the heart's rhythm and there is no variability right. in effect so parasympathetic is means vagal right? they they are used parallel to each other yeah. now if we go into a person who is stressed what um, what do these people have as tools in their disposal to get out of that stressful situation? Um, I, th I think the biggest thing is is first awareness that firstly that stress itself is not bad, but if it goes on, something should be done. And in our context, I think sleep is the very first thing that we focus on. That basically, if a person is healthy and happy in their life and in their life's demands, if they get a good, good, sufficiently long, good quality sleep period, that probably is, is enough in itself to sort of charge the batteries that you consume during, during a busy day. Okay, sleep is important for recovery. Yeah. Now, can you do something while you're awake? Yes, of course. And I, I, that, that is sort of the next step. That sleep is the, the starting point. That, that has to be kind of in place. But then, in addition to that, particularly when people's work days tend to oftentimes be very long. They, they easily reach into the evenings because people have to do time zone work and different things. So we do, we do bring out things, what you can do to, to calm yourself down in the midst of it all. It could be deep breathing. It could be some kind of a five-minute or 10-minute relaxation activity, meditation. Mindfulness is a very big um, movement and, and is gaining a lot of popularity among all age groups as just meaning that you... you, you you learn to stop the busyness and, and then focus on the moment. And, right. and then deep breathing is something very physiologically um, spot on that when you, if you learn to do that, you can actually very quickly, quickly go from a stressful situation 
if you, if you are experienced by taking some deep breaths, you, you actually can activate the parasympathetic nervous system and, and increase your heart rate variability and, and go into that. Right. That so zone. Imi- imitating someone who is sleeping deeply, uh, doing deep breaths, uh, box breathing is a, is a technique, also holding breath and slowing down your breath. Um, when you slow down your breathing per minute, that there seems to correlate with heartbeat, so heartbeat goes down also. Is there a correlation between elevated or uh, lower heart rate and heart rate variability, or are those different things? Yeah, normally it would. You would absolutely expect that when your heart rate drops, typically your heart rate variability grows, because that's a sign of the, the parasympathetic system becoming more active. It can be disturbed if you are very chronically overtrained or chronically stressed. It can be disturbed. So it's possible that you, you drop your heart rate, but the variability is still very, very low. We, we sometimes see that in people who are extremely overloaded, particularly athletes, that then, then looking only at your resting heart rate might not be enough, that then the variability can tell if it's still good. And that's why a lot of the Sports monitoring systems and the athlete, the tools that athletes and coaches use, they do, they do go deeper than just heart rate to, to really know what's happening in wow. the body. All right. So now we know what, what stress um, can be in terms of measurements and where we can look at it from the electric signals from the body and some techniques also for that. If we look at modern life, people seem to go through their day breathing in a pretty surface way, they don't do deep breathing exercises. Um, so you sort of kind of you don't you don't necessarily have a walk in the forest that would automatically kick that in um, almost subconsciously. You have to consciously use breathing um, to control the stress reaction. So um, not necessarily. Yeah, it it can be a good tool, and um, if there is for some people, it can be an excellent tool, but it can also be something less conscious that uh, for example a, a more peaceful routine work period if if you if you've been all morning in a seminar giving presentations and, and stress level has been high if you then come back to the office and sit at your computer and do something very routine that you just just don't have to put all of your effort into that your body can automatically also slow down and switch into that so it's not always it doesn't have to be a conscious act but but certainly those conscious uh, things, they tend to help people because um, it's not so easy to make that switch. I guess that's why people sometimes go home and they watch television or play computer games or just engage themselves in mundane activity that is sort of like uh, just, just like playing with routines, not learning anything new. Yeah, just, yeah so something learning. different from what they do during, during right. the work. All right, so um, let's jump in into my data. I think people would be extremely interested to hear, like, okay, what's a like actual use case for this? So a little bit of background here. I, we planned to do this already like a month ago. I started one measurement. It was pretty relaxed day, pretty typical work day for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, no presentation, nothing. Uh, but in the in the head of that that first day, um, the next morning, I dislocated my shoulder and. Uh, I guess that that will show a significant stress response from my body. So uh, I decided not to continue the measurement, especially because my hand was hanging like um, uh, in a pretty useless way. Um, I was able to hack that in a few weeks' time with different biohacks that I did with electrostimulation, cold exposure, and using some uh, nutritional interventions as well, um, like like providing. Uh, for tissue repair, all the precursors that that would need. So I was I was healed from that, and um, so so I did this measurement now uh, this week. But this week was one of the worst weeks in terms of workload in a long time. Actually, it precedes. Uh, I mean, follows um, a period of time. We did the biker summit in London. I've been giving presentations like uh, three presentation three four presentations a week mm. and so i've been going through pretty hard roller coaster coming into this measurement which also um uh this week interferes with a few conferences where we had a stand so a lot of uh, standing a lot of like you know worrying about if i have all the stuff and materials there uh 
in, uh, I had two conferences where in both I was in a panel, I was giving a presentation, a keynote, and just talking to a lot of people. And when I go to conferences, people recognize me and they just, you know, I'm constantly interrupted mm. by people. There's re- very little opportunity for me to relax unless I just run away from the craziness. To be mindful. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes I just decide that, okay, let's go with this. I'm not, I, I, I can relax after this period. So, so what I'm interested in terms of my nervous system is, um, am I capable for like just pushing it a little bit and, and then recover from it? So we will look into that a little bit here. And um, uh, this also involves a lot of travel. So I, I have not been in an optimal environment for biohacking my stress response, sleeping in hotel rooms. You never know like how the environment is in those. Um, but anyway, so let's let's jump in into so my so, sort of my baseline report, if that's okay. Yeah. Let's start from yeah. uh, the day a month ago when... Uh, when we did uh, did this, and uh, you, you do this questionnaire, pre-questionnaire uh, about physical activity and uh, uh, eating habits and alcohol consumption and uh, breaks, uh, what, what the typical person feels like. It was pretty funny, actually, when I filled this, this is what I usually like to do. And mm. the new report, when I was feeling it, I was like sort of laughing because <laughs> I, I sort of I value many of these things like, I sleep enough and I rest and feel energetic and all these things. But uh, I mean, I, I filled this questionnaire afterwards um, during this week after the stressful moment. I was sort of laughing that I mean, <laughs> this is not true for this week at all. And this but, is a subjective. Um, it's a very because the the assessment and the measurement. It's a tool for professional to to discuss with their client, and this is very useful information. So if you are my client and we haven't met before. So when I look at this and I see only red faces there, then I, I know that, okay, subjectively this person is clearly having some challenges. Whereas if I see green faces, then I, I, I get some insight into their subjective feeling. It doesn't affect the result in any way, but of course it's very important to then compare this to, to what the physiology shows. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> looking at this, I have pretty many like completely agree kind of faces for a few things. Uh, there is... Uh, one thing I feel that I sleep enough is partially disagree, and then there's a few like partially agree for uh, feeling of stress, um, breaks, and feeling rest and energetic. This just comes from my lifestyle. I'm, I decided to be an entrepreneur. I have several businesses now on top of each other. Uh, I'm just like working on reorganizing those things that I have more more opportunity for sleep. So I value sleep, I value mm. breaks and all these things. And I, I just wait for summer so that I can just relax. Mm. Um, but I guess this is pretty typical for a lot of like uh, high performers of today. Um, yeah, I agree. Necessarily enough sleep, uh, but they would really appreciate to get more. Mm. Yeah, very true. Yeah. All right. So here we have the lifestyle assessment. So walks through. Yeah, that's one day. And uh, the red color, that's when we talked earlier about stress, that's called some kind of stress reaction. And like I mentioned, it's it's a completely normal part of life. It's sort of, for most people, it's the default state that we are in during the day when we are up and doing things. Uh, no problem with that as long as it doesn't go on all, all day and all night. And in here where you see the green color starting about midnight, going on till... We had a long sleep, nine and a half hour sleep that night, and pretty much the whole sleep period shows up as green recovery color. So clearly in this case, and it, and it is excellent that we have this baseline measurement for you because your second measurement was done in a very stressful time. So this kind of shows that in a normal situation, your body has a very good ability to certainly get perfect recovery during the sleep period. And also, if you look closely, you can see some green segments during the day, for example, at two o'clock, you marked in your journal relaxation activity. You can see that the heart rate drops dramatically from the daytime level by 20 or 30 beats lower, and there is a green, narrow green bar there at, at two o'clock. So that that's sort of the point of of assessing the daytime recovery. It's not it's not to to get as much recovery in your day as possible because, well, employers wouldn't like that. That's not the goal of life to to get as much snooze time as possible, but but if your body responds to a chance to have a break, then everything usually is in good balance. I often have like naps, uh, and in this case, what I did, I did 
uh, neurofeedback um, meditation practice. So I was running these electrodes on my head. Okay. I, was, I was running a sound in my ears. So you have kind of a sound that guides you and tells you if your mind is rested or hyperactive. And this works as a feedback loop so that I can bring myself much faster and keep myself in a state of relaxation more easily. So just shutting down my mind. Right. Um, uh, and and uh, that's pretty useful. I mean, you can do this without technology, obviously, but um, it, it certainly helps um, people. Sometimes they just sit and meditate and they don't know if that's really working or not. And yeah. Raises. I practice that I really just like shut myself down yeah. and I'm no longer even in that moment. I'm yeah. Well, it certainly seems to be working in that case. I, I just wrote a blog about a small experiment I did myself with an um, acupressure mat, uh, like, like a mat yeah. with little spikes. And I, it's, you can read that on our website if you're interested. But it's, I just I sort of saw a very similar thing. I'm, I'm almost always on the red during the daytime. That's just my natural state. But then uh, on three different days, I did like a 20-minute Rest, but instead of just laying down at the end of a busy day, I actually lay down on this acupressure mat. And yeah. I don't know yet. It could easily have been green without it, but it certainly seemed to trigger some kind of response. I had a very strong parasympathetic response yeah. to that. I have, I have also the same thing. Uh, and I actually looked into some of the research of this. So this kind of acupuncture mat with spikes is, I mean, the, the blood flows into, into your skin, your surface area. In the beginning, your nervous system is telling you, oh, oh my goodness, it is uh, it has spikes, it's mm. sort of biting into me. And, yeah. and after a while, it sort of like calms down and it's like, okay, I'm not dying in this. And uh, you get this release of oxytocin yeah. uh, and uh, just like, you know, feel good hormones. Yeah. And, um, I, I like to do a nap with it because when I go to, a, if I do a full cycle nap of 90 minutes with it, I actually wake up automatically without an alarm if I'm on a spike nut. I just wake up into the spikes. Yeah. <laughs> Gets too painful. Yeah, I love that stuff. Um, okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I had not tested that before, but I, I, I met the representatives of one of those companies in a conference, and I just did a little, little field test, and it was a very interesting result. Yeah. This day is uh, full of... Uh, meetings in mm. the morning hours. So I was having like three back-to-back -back meetings, uh, which is probably typical for many office workers. It's just to run from one meeting to another. And I see uh, that, that this time from the early morning until uh, lunchtime, I've been a bit more stressed than on average for the, the rest of the day. Yeah, looks like the the red bars are a bit higher in the morning when you are very busy. And then when the height of the red bars drops, that does mean that your stress level is sort of gradually decreasing. And then when it gets to a certain threshold, then, then it can change to green, meaning that uh, you are actually moving from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic side. Uh, like between five and six, there is no actual journal marking except you are still working. So that, that's a good example of that sometimes the body can do that even if you are not doing something conscious. You're not doing a conscious strategy or technique to recover. You might just be doing something a little bit lower level intensity or or it could also be like a flow kind of experience that you may be doing something very enjoyable and, and focused on that. So that can trigger this kind of a response, what you see there before six o'clock. Right. And then there is a massive spike in the end of the day before going to sleep. And uh, that's yeah. when I had a little argument. Uh, the social situations are definitely increasing our stress level. So having meetings or or just having an argument with a friend yeah. uh, is, uh, in a way, what I try to do sometimes is just to get away from people, uh, just to recover and rest. Yeah. Uh, it seems that other people are easily influencing your sense of um, stress level. Yeah, yeah, interesting. You are working there for 45 minutes before midnight and the red... Red bars are there, but then, yeah, there's a very clear 30-minute spike. And that could explain the fact that the first hour of sleep is a little bit on the red side, and then the green begins after that. So it could have delayed the start of your recovery by, by a little bit. But overall, that's a very nice, nice sleep time profile. Heart rate variability value there, if you look at the quality of recovery line, that's the actual heart rate variability value in milliseconds. It's 84 milliseconds for you during, it's an average from the sleep period. And then when we look at your second measurement, 
you you have naturally and probably because of your lifestyle and and general good health you have a very high very good heart rate variability in general in any case but in the second measurement it's about 30% 40% lower it, it's still considered a good value for your age group but it's going to be quite a bit lower and and also of course the red and green graph will look quite a bit different but that's something that you can compare between measurements as well to see if um if there are changes in your heart rate variability level right okay um no so physical activity on this day that's when the lifestyle assessment we we focus on stress management things that cause stress sleep and recovery moments and then physical activity and exercise is a sort of the third crucial cornerstone what we try to emphasize those are the lifestyle factors that we can directly show with this measurement so the data will show if you did some kind of activity that increased your heart rate and oxygen uptake enough that it's considered light or or moderate or vigorous physical activity and in this day there wasn't any of course it doesn't have to be there every day but but the idea is that hopefully people would have would do that on more days of the week than not. Yeah, I usually try to do like um, a routine of uh, exercise in the morning or late in the evening. Mm. Uh, that's usually in the early morning. It's more like yoga or doing doing a round of push-ups or pull-ups, and that's pretty much it to get myself metabolically active in the mm. morning. And the more heavy stuff I do in the evenings, uh, it doesn't compromise my sleep. So for some people, that seems to be an issue. If they... That's a good point. That's a very individual response. In general, we do see that if you do high-intensity exercise close to bedtime with most people, it tends to affect their sleep quality. But of course, if it's lower intensity or if it's several hours before bedtime, then most likely it doesn't, doesn't have too much of a negative effect. All right. So, so do you have any other things to say about this? Um, no, I think it's good to then compare. We can look at, uh, you know, here you can see the physical activity points being low. That that was an interesting observation on the second measurement that even if they were very busy days, we we um, the measurement also looks at your steps. So you actually had quite a bit of activity in your busy days. They weren't passive days sitting in place. So the step count tells that you were you were fairly active even if there wasn't a huge amount of actual exercise in there. So that's yeah. sort of the lowest level what we can we can see if the person is sitting passively all day or if they're moving around. And then the next step is to see if they're doing something that actually improves their fitness. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, going to conferences is a lot of like walking around. If you, like me, I don't like to just sit and listen to lectures. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so this, this reference version, I was working for 11 hours total and I was sleeping nine hours and 30 minutes yeah and you had 30 minutes of recovery during your work day those were those green bars when you did your your um, meditation or your yes. breathing exercise and and when you were doing some kind of uh, other kind of work in the afternoon so actually had some recovery minutes during during work yeah, yeah. so that was consciously chosen that i would do that kind of recovery and it's cool to see that it shows up here uh, do you have anything else to say about this report no i think it's good to look at the Look at the next okay, segment. Now let's go to the horror version, <laughs> uh, which is like I mean, every one of us needs to go through some some crazy times. So there is not <laughs> a lot of green in this uh, report. Yeah, and actually, I saw Temus. I saw this second measurement at first before I before I got access to the data from the first one. So I really thought I was going to come here and do a little bit of that. You know, you are you are in good condition and you're obviously excited and you have a lot of positive energy, but you do sometimes need to learn to <laughs> live a little bit more peacefully. So it was very good to for me also to then see the the measurement one month ago. Yeah. Okay, so this is a period of time when when I've been I, I mean just like under several uh deadlines on top of each other, uh doing several conference presentations and uh, coordinating activities related to those and a lot of travel uh working late having like a second work day in the end of the, the next one and uh not sleeping enough and uh yeah this is this is this is what it looks like <laughs> so a lot of red you can see yeah clearly the it's it's like the body stays in an active gear even when you go to sleep. You might have been asleep the whole time, the whole five hours and 40 minutes, but your body certainly wasn't in as recovered of a place as it was 
as it would be in a more normal normal situation and it's probably even more obvious in some ways on the second day but if you if you go down just a little bit if you look at the, the quality of recovery line so that's the heart rate variability value that was 85 milliseconds i think in the first measurement and it's 54 now so it's you're still this is a typical example of like an acute stress situation there's nothing too worrisome about it your heart rate variability is still very very normal and um for your age group and, and for somebody in your condition, but it's a lot lower than it was a month earlier. Yeah. So in this case, uh, there's prob there probably was a lot more work in this day than is actually ex um, put in into the journal. Yeah. Uh, I slept four hours before going into this 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 week, and um, um, so that was the first day. Um, pretty much, I was in a workshop in the afternoon. Uh, this time, yeah, elevated the, heart rate, elevated stress. The light blue segments. There are probably segments when you were walking from place to place. Uh, you can see slight increases in heart rate. It's not actual exercise, but it does count as light physical activity. And then when you looked at your, you actually got moderate physical activity points even on a day like this, just because there was a fair amount of moving around and some kind of short exercise in the evening. Maybe maybe that was your push-ups, and yeah. it looks like something like that. Yeah, short, I, short, I did, intensive. I did some I did some short in, uh, high intensity interval training in the evening, and also I had after the work day here after the workshop, I went straight into uh, filming and documentaries. Which so it's almost like giving a presentation. Mm. So you're in front of camera and performing. So uh, yeah, I didn't recover on that day. I didn't have much time. Also, I was preparing the next day in the evening, and here we can see the next day when I went to upgraded life festival. Sort of ironic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> having a downgraded week. Here we can see compared to the previous one, certainly a lot more like uh, elevated uh, stress response. Yeah, yeah. Heart rate between 11 and, and 3, it's actually, if you look at the heart rate beats per minute value, it's well over 100 for many hours at a time. So clearly there is some, you're setting up, Getting ready for between 9 and 10, the light blue color means that there's probably a lot of some kind of moving around, getting organized at the conference. And then, then the red bars, they stay persistently very high while you're giving a presentation, you're in a panel. So clearly the stress level is quite high at yes. that point. Yeah, I mean, that, that was, I felt it, it was pretty intense time running around, people constantly interrupting me and asking me things and uh, fixing some problems on the way and... Uh, uh, once I got back from there, I had a quick lunch uh, or late lunch. I didn't actually eat even on that day. Uh, so I was running like with intermittent fasting. I had just fats in the morning and I had uh, a meal, uh, which I prepared in a pretty relaxed setting around this time. I, I see there's a little drop here. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I went to the train and... Uh, um, Almost three hours later, I was in, in a hotel in, in Turku, uh, ready to speak in a castle, in, in Turku Castle. Okay. Yeah, that was a pretty cool venue. Um, but I had to work on releasing the Biohacker's Handbook nutrition chapter, which is now available at biohackingbook.com. Uh, it's 178 pages, 503 references, mainly meta studies from the last few years, and over 100 illustrations. So check it out if you're interested. But anyway, so uh, that's out. Um, I guess. Uh, so, but anyway, so I got some sleep that night. I see some recovery. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it really helps that you 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 know you're still reasonably young and you are in good fitness. You take care of your lifestyle as a rule. So. You're even after a very, very long, stressful day like that, you are able to get some recovery. Obviously, not nearly as good <clears throat> as it was, would be after a more normal day. But and, and there is a lot of red segments intermittent between the green. You, you may have actually woken up. You might be asleep then, but your heart is clearly still sort of acting out the events of the day. So the kind of sense of stress that I had before going to sleep, I woke up with that mindset that I was like, you know, I need to do V somewhere, do something. I actually did some uh, heavy breathing exercises in the morning, uh, like hyperventilation exercise, just to get my you know, blood flowing and wake myself up. I, had the wind, I, I opened up the curtains and the light came in. Uh, and at that moment, I, I look at the time and it's like, yeah, you can see that uh, you are able to go back 
you know, your, so your a little bit of recovery. Again. Yeah. So then I got a little bit of sleep, and then I actually wake up also without alarm clock before it rings. So I was definitely in a. I, the way I felt was like I was on a running overdrive. So I, I couldn't even rest if I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so then no, I, no minutes of of green during the daytime. It's easy to see that, unlike the measurement a month earlier. Now, now it's clearly you're you're relying on getting some recovery on sleep, and and you're getting some, but clearly not quite enough to yeah. to charge the batteries after a day like that. Definitely getting into more like kind of chronic elevated stress kind of period. Now, um, is there anything else you want to say about? This? That's just uh, the physical activity index fifty. What that means is that. Um, the various activities that you did during the day, you accumulated almost 6,200 6, steps, just walking back and forth. This is actually only measure steps, so it's not movement, any kind of movement, it's steps, that running or walking steps. And two hours of light physical activity, so it clearly means that you weren't just passive by any means, uh, and it, if you have enough of this kind of light-level physical activity, it still has some good health benefits. So that's what the, the moderate physical activity index means. It should be a bit more strenuous in intensity to actually get you into the good zone, what's considered the optimal health benefits, but still not, not bad at all for a day like this. All right, let's move into the day at the castle. And... Uh... That's when I gave a panel discussion and a keynote presentation. And uh, in the morning, I gave a, a panel and in the afternoon, the presentation. And then I had some like breathing exercises and uh, actively trying to rest for 15 minutes in the end of the day. Right at four o'clock. Yeah. Then I, yeah. then I went for a trampoline and I guess I uh, disconnected uh, the measurement device for several hours, which is uh, the time when I traveled back to Helsinki by car, uh, had had some food and uh, pretty much just relaxed. And I noticed that I had lost the connection. I put uh, the device back on for um, sleep. Uh, it was pretty similar to the previous night. It was intermittent green with red, not not nearly as good as in 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 the earlier measurement. But you are definitely, I think. You were starting to maybe the biggest three-day stress was over, and you were starting to get some pretty good recovery on that night. But um, yeah, if you if you go back up just a tiny little bit, the the presentation and the busyness of the morning, the red bars again very high, and the heart rate very high there between one o'clock and four o'clock. So you did some recovery, some intensive recovery at four o'clock. You can see the heart rate take a significant dip, but Maybe it was so quickly after that kind of a stressful morning that physiologically you weren't quite able to go into the parasympathetic mode and, yeah, and no green color. I usually color. need like 30 minutes to do it. So I had yeah. only for 15 minutes to do it. And uh, it, it felt good, but um, yeah. I, I felt that when I stopped it, that was when I was actually getting into a more rested state where I can do some work. Yeah. But then I had to leave. So yeah. Yes, you just can't factor in sometimes 30 minutes of extra. Yeah, and that, the whole period where, the, where you see the red line from 4.30 to 10, so that just means that there is no no data from that time because it, the device had come come loose. But the previous two days gave a pretty good idea that uh, periods like that, they happen. We, we Most of us have them sometimes when life is very busy and... and um, Maybe the learning lesson is not so much how can we avoid those, but how can we balance them with with more reasonable schedules then and, and, and have have that downgraded week maybe next week or the over the weekend or something. Yeah. And in the end of this like uh, measurement you have like a summary. So is there any is there something that you can from say from the big Yeah, that's the body resources graph is the, um, it's like the battery charging. So it's normal for the line to go down during the daytime. We, we consume our batteries and consume our resources when we are doing things. If the balance is good, then the line should climb back up to the same level or higher during the sleep period, which it did in your first measurement very nicely. But here you can see, especially if you look at the accumulated balance after the two days, it is clearly way on the resources decreased side. So even if you got a little bit of green, it clearly wasn't enough to, to offset or balance the, the yeah. stressful days that you had. So 
So anyone listening, don't go to health conferences. It's unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, I have found that I've also measured myself in a few different conferences when I've traveled to the US or in the UK and particularly if you combine that with jet lag and travel. So clearly that usually takes quite a bit out of you. What I can say from my own experience is that, I mean, I, I have these kind of periods, but it was uh, significantly harder for a few reasons. One of them was that I had so tightly packed like schedule, like almost like running from presentation to a train yeah. and just like, you know, quickly eating something. So it was a, it was a quite hard time. Um, and definitely if I would continue this same kind of pattern mm. for days on days off, uh, that wouldn't be very good and maybe increase my risk for chronic fatigue. Yeah, clearly, clearly. Or for that flu to, to break through that you might yeah. not be able to keep it, then, then keep then it I'm off if you keep living rest, like this. Uh, and that's maybe a kind of a concluding remark on that whole discussion would be that we, when we mentioned earlier positive and negative stress, so of course, the idea is that positive stress is something that we can turn off, that we can we can deal with that. But if it's positive, it's something that we enjoy, then we are better able to turn it off and, and go to sleep and get some rest when it's time for that. But even positive stress, it's still a physiological stressor on the body. So if it goes on too long and it's too extreme, a person can drive themselves into burnout or overtraining or overload from positive stress too. And that's a lot of entrepreneurs, for example, when they have a new business, there's a huge amount of enthusiasm and energy and they're loving what they're doing. But sooner or later, if they don't remember to be mindful of the rest, they, they will still wear themselves out, even if it's positive. So maybe factoring in like 30-minute breaks and actually actively resting. When people have breaks, I think it would be very wise to learn some techniques like breathing exercises and and just engage yourself in those meditative things or just have a nap which is yeah. a very very easy way to just get your mind out of the work that you are doing it can definitely help and breathing particularly the long long breathing deep breathing and then a long exhalation so when you when you breathe out that's when when the heart rate tends to slow down and the variability increases so a very long sustained expiration is good and i, I would say that oftentimes just 10 and 15 minutes can be enough that in your case, it was just an extremely stressful and busy and hectic morning that at least that day, the 15 minutes wasn't enough. But on a more normal day, I would, I would think that you can, 10 or 15 minutes can be a very beneficial, useful break for you, know, for you or for, for yeah. anybody really. And yeah. that's oftentimes maybe more realistic too. I was using some other devices during this period. Um, I was using HeartMap, uh, Heart Rate Variability Training in one of those stressful mornings. And usually I can get myself into high coherence quite easily with breathing exercises. Mm. I was, I was uh, struggling to get to the green zone, mm. sort of uh, high coherence. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've noticed this also before. If I go through a very stressful time, a quick check for me is like a few minutes, even five minutes, five, 10 minutes of heart rate variability training with uh, hard math tells me if I should be, you know, maybe resting, mm -hmm. a quick check. Other thing that I've been looking into is um, I was using during a conference, I was using mood metric um, ring, which basically measures skin conductivity, the same technique that they use in uh, uh, when they're investigating if you're lying or not and so mm -hmm. on. And, and yeah. it seems to correlate with your uh, mood, uh, sort of like if you get exci excitatory, if you get mm -hmm. excited or not, they can, can't tell if you, it's for good or bad reasons, yeah. but they can tell you that you get excited. That correlated actually pretty nicely when I was looking at this now. We, I was using this during the conference at Upgrade Life as well. So it really nicely correlated with the most stressful moments of that day when I was mm -hmm. in the panel and giving a presentation, and, mm -hmm. but still elevated. Now, um, if people want to try out this kind of measurement uh, with first beat and so on, how is this available? Like, is this well, available internationally? Um, can you buy these devices or do you need to have some kind of service provider working with you? Yeah, this lifestyle assessment, what we discussed here, that's a professional measurement with the idea that a service provider, wellness coach or fitness coach or, or um, occupational healthcare provider, they give the device to the client who wears it. The client just lives their normal life and gives the device back and then the professional analyzes it and then has a debrief, usually not live like we did, but, you know, face-to-face -face or on the phone discussing the implications and lifestyle 
changes, what, what can be learned from that, and then what kind of goals can be set. Um, of course, then FirstBeat also does devices, wearable devices, consumer devices that have something similar for those people who want to self-monitor themselves all the time. Uh, it's not the same thing. You don't get the same kind of reports, but uh, the, the basic principles are the same. So it kind of depends on what somebody is looking for. For a lot of people, this kind of three-day analysis, it's it's a great way to a starting point for some kind of lifestyle change or a check to see where they are at and then making some changes after that. Right. And um, where is this available? Like what countries can I... like? Um, UK, US, a lot of European countries, Hungary, Germany, um, Holland, France. And then you can also, of course, contact info at firstbeat.com and, uh, and we'll direct you to the, you know, the easiest way to get that done. Right. Another device I just picked up some data. I use AMFIT, which also measures heart rate variability during sleep. Yeah. And here we can see, actually, if I go to Monday here, um, the week before I was recovering every night, uh, but not on Friday, but Saturday, massive kind of recovery. Uh, but then... When that was we, a Saturday before you before did... Before the yeah. So then uh, su- Sunday, Monday, uh, not a lot of sleep. Uh, let's, let's move a little bit forward here. So... Um, yeah, I would be very surprised if that was different because that uh, that measures basically the same thing during the sleep period. So, and, and it was the your reactions were so dramatically not exactly ideal. So, yeah, that, that this is something that I use like uh, when I don't have first beat available. So I look at uh, if I'm going to the red side during the week. Uh, that is an indication to me that maybe I should like actively put in some time for recovery. And I've definitely right. noticed that. It doesn't uh, directly correlate with the amount of sleep that I get, although it does. But even seven, eight hours uh, can sometimes be on a negative side if I'm like just pumping through a lot of work mm. uh, during the day. So factoring in some some recovery time, maybe going to the nature, definitely gets things into the green. Uh, to my experience of doing this kind of tracking for a few years now, yeah. um, and the one thing that I've noticed is elevated uh, resting heart rate in the morning. Uh, so here we can also see, like when when I go to negative, the, the it elevates a little bit the resting heart. Yeah, rate. yeah, that's a very easy practical thing that anybody can do, even without any devices. It's it's measure not going measure. to tell the whole story, but it definitely gives some ideas. If it's suddenly ten beats higher than on most mornings, usually it tells something. So if anyone wants to do this. Just take your heart rate monitor. Uh, you, can, you can even use a phone. Um, there are apps that measure with the light coming from uh, the, the flash, uh, your heartbeat. And you can use that to figure out your resting heart rate in the morning. So before you stand up in the morning, just take your phone or whatever device or um, uh, heart rate monitor and, and check your, your resting, resting heart rate in the morning. And it becomes valid after you've been doing it for a while that, of course, first days and maybe even first weeks, it doesn't say so much because there is no right or wrong level. It's very individual. But then when you learn your normal pattern during your sort of restful morning, so then it's something to compare it compare it to. Yeah, Great. Thank you so much, Tina, for, for walking through this and diving, uh, helping us all to get into better understanding of stress and how that relates to modern work and life. Now, we often ask people, like, what would be, like, the three things that you learned through the work? I mean, you've been looking into this kind of information data. Uh, What would be your sort of advice to anyone who wants to perform better in today's working life? Well, the two biggest things that are going to hurt your sleep is is alcohol and hard exercise. Those are the most clear things that will worsen your sleep quality. So alcohol is often thought of as a relaxant, something that calms you down and helps you go to sleep, but anything more than one or very, very max two units is going to affect your sleep quality so it pretty significantly. It, yeah, it compromises the parasympathetic, blocks the parasympathetic activation and you're going to have less green and a higher heart rate. Right. And um, so that's just something that a lot of people 
they aren't stopping drinking because of this, but they are becoming more mindful of it and trying to avoid it at times when they have to really be at the top of their game or maybe have big demands on the following days. Many of these conferences always have like after parties and a lot of drinking. And exactly, I, I, yeah. I deliberately avoided those parties yeah. so that I could get even the small amount of rest. Yeah. So what would have happened to me if I went on a drink at 4 a.m. in the morning? Yeah, exactly. Then you absolutely wouldn't have had glimpses of green there. That, be sitting. Yeah. So that's that was a good good choice for sure, and I I relate to it very much. I I have to do the same thing when I'm on tough travel trips as well. The exercise I mentioned because as good as it is for us, a lot of people in a way have pressure to try to do it all, try to perform at a high level at work and also be super fit and maybe train for some kind of competitions and, and get it all done. And then if you, if you add a hard exercise session on top of an already stressful day, it will inevitably affect your sleep quality. It's not a problem if you do it once a week or twice a week, but if you're constantly building the high intensity exercise into your days, particularly in the evening, then you again are compromising your sleep quality quite a bit. And then maybe the third Third, more, more positive note would be that the, the small breaks and the small sort of interventions and recharging breaks that you can take during the day, it, it really is helpful. It, it's not crucial to have a monitor or you don't need to always even see the green color in some kind of report, but just to take the time for that, that to learn to slow down and, and, and kind of get out of the, the cycle of just going, going, going from one appointment to the next. So that is, it, it is really valid and, and very useful for the nervous system and, and for the body, body and the mind. Excellent. Thank you, Tina. It definitely helps to be mindful about recovery and factor some of that into your day. And sometimes avoid the things that might compromise your recovery and especially sleep, which we all probably agree is... Uh, high performance, uh, I mean, it's an enhancer if we do it properly. So thank you so much. And if people want to know more about First Beat, where should they go? Firstbeat.com is our website, and you can find information on all our sectors there. And uh, send us an email. You can find contact information there. So if you have questions, we are happy to happy to help and, and relay you to the closest people to you. Cool. Thank you. This was extremely helpful. So see you next time. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 